electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber, uh, coming from a snowy east coast in Times Square. Futures are solid uh, coming off that week overnight. The Reddit squeeze evolves beyond GameStop. It's a big week for Ecodata and the second busiest week of Q4 earnings. Our roadmap begins with the Reddit-fueled frenzy. Continued volatility for GameStop, AMC, and now Silver, uh, the latest target in the short squeeze. Plus, Goldman calls it the biggest short squeeze in 25 years, but says investors still have reason for optimism as economic growth remains a key driver for stock prices. And speaking of stocks, well, they are looking to rally at the open. Investors seemingly set to shake off concerns about speculative retail trading after, of course, what was the market's worst weekly sell-off, Carl, since October. But we'll see if that rally continues once we open a half hour from now. Yeah. Uh, it's great to have Jim back in the chair. Uh, looking great, as usual, Jim. Uh, let's talk about, I guess, some of what was written over the weekend. Uh, David Costin's note is a highlight, just looking at historical short squeezes and the short Goldman basket, which, in his words, is the biggest squeeze that we've seen in a, more than 25 years. Once again, David represents pretty much everybody straightforward. And I think the most important page of his piece is the list of stocks that are short and the value, how much money is actually involved. What I did was I looked at the top seven, and you really come to about $70 billion. If $70 billion is going to bring down the stock market, then I say you've got an opportunity here that you wouldn't believe. And I say that because, in part because I've got to tell you, Carl, you know, while stocks are down a lot, the companies that had good earnings are down, too, along with bad because of future selling. David, you understand when you look at that list that you're really talking about some companies that know how to deal with this, particularly AMC Entertainment, where we've got Adam Aaron offering at-the-money stock to be able to raise versus his $900 million bond deal. But they've got a lot of very high callable debt. That's really the only one there that is struggling to stay alive. GameStop is struggling for relevance. I think there's an opportunity. It's very hard to figure out what Ryan Cohen's plan is when he's very quiet. A bed bath is an option is one that I think is very interesting because there you have Mark Tritton making a very big turn. But you have people starting to say, wait a second, that one is really a, a company that can hurt when we return to regular time. So, I mean, we've got some that are uh, valuation, David, and some that are actually uh, taking advantage of the squeeze. American Airlines did that last week. So it's a creative way to be able to raise money. I'm trying to stay away from, we can, of course, talk Robin Hood, um, but I'm trying to stay away from the notion that this is big enough to topple the market. And Costin really makes that point. Costin is excellent. Once again, he's neutral. He's trying to get it right. And he is unemotional. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, this morning, and I want to talk with you about Robinhood as well, because I do find it fascinating in terms of what the future of that company is going to look like, Jim. But let's come back to this morning. And it's not about stocks, as you well know, and Carl knows. It's about silver in particular, which seems to be the next target 
of this so-called Reddit cohort or the merry men, I guess you may still be calling them, Jim. I mean, yes. I don't want people to forget that it was weeks, if not months ago, that you started to really focus us on these Reddit chat rooms prior to them becoming so well-known sort of nationwide. Uh, and we did so in part because of the enthusiasm for certain SPACs, uh, some of the vitriol that you and I were both getting in terms of uh, some companies in the EV space. But again, they're now focused on silver. We see what's going on with some of these ETFs. But Jim, when I look at this commodity, it's not necessarily one where there is a large short position in the commodity itself, is there? Yes, hedge funds use short positions in the ETFs to help hedge. But it's an interesting dynamic here. Not quite sure how it's going to play out, although they are sending them up dramatically. Yeah, people have to recognize that silver is, is while well, precious metal, David, is chiefly used for uh, LED. Uh, it's used for a great deal for autos. Obviously, it's a great deal for jewelry. Uh, when you take it away, you're talking about a market that is very small. There are only two stocks that are really investable. You see a lot that are trading. But Pan American Silver does have 17.5 million silver ounces. They failed to deliver on the amount that they'd like to do. They're predicting this year to do 22.5 million. That is actually very big. The other one that I find that is, uh, let's say, uh, worthy of investment is wheat and precious metals. The stock is a big. They have uh, 820,000 uh, in ounces per year they intend to improve uh, put out. And then everybody else, David, is really too small. Uh, obviously, people are using the ETF silver. Do I think that they're misdirected and taking it up? I do think that if you think the GDP is going to grow, you might have something winning in, in silver. But it is GDP oriented. This is the first thing that they have targeted that, frankly, has a limit because there's not that much silver out there. But at the same time, David, it, it, what it is used is not for ornamental. So therefore, you really do need a step up in business in order to make that invaluable. Carl, when we look at what they've written about, so to speak, and what they've talked about on Reddit and Wall Street Bets, I think what you're saying is, look, there's a lot of people who may think they're manipulating. I think they're just telling a story, telling a lot of stories. And you either believe, let's go back to, to Bed Bath. You either believe that Mark Tritton's doing a good job or you don't. Uh, GameStop, you either believe that Ryan Cohen has a plan to make it a Chewy or you don't. Uh, Chewy being the operative. And so you can say, well, listen, is GameStop blockbuster is a Chewy? I want to come back and say, please, false dichotomy. It's a company that can do well. It can, it can reinvent itself with the money it, it, that it easily could raise. The idea that it can't raise money somehow involved with, say, the government that it can't. Well, look what Adam Aaron's doing. And he's able to do it very freely at AMC. So, Carl, obviously GameStop can raise money. They're mum. They're silence, which I've called them several times. I find disturbing, if only just because, come on, you have a major, major move. Why not admit that it's a material move and come forward with your plan? Does Ryan Cohen have to come forward with his plan? No, because he's a member of the board. But I do think that GameStop uh, is, let's say, doing, being um, ill-advised in their decision to not talk. And they should come on the show this, this morning and talk. Yep, you've been, <laughs> you've been pretty consistent, Jim, in, uh, in your diagnosis of what they need to do. Uh, more broadly, though, Jim, um, you talk about risks to the overall market. Today, Mike Wilson at Morgan Stanley comes out and says, look, the correction is here. Savita over at uh, B of A talking about for the third week now, Jim, more similarities to the year 2000. Heavy retail, euphoric sentiment, rich valuations, and as you pointed out a moment ago, negative alpha for companies that beat. Why is that not a concern? Well, I think it's not a concern, and I think I love Mike. But when you look at 2000, David, I know there are 330 companies that failed. 
in the period between 2000 and 2002. How do I know that? Because I was involved with litigation when I started uh, TheStreet.com. What you need to recognize is the vast majority of those companies were not making uh, sales, let alone earnings. Uh, David, you know and look at what's going on with the companies. Other than the most recent fintech and the SPACs, you're really dealing with companies with tremendous earnings power. I mean, if we take a look at what Facebook reported last week, we take a look at, at, at the remarkable numbers from Microsoft and the remarkable numbers from Apple. Those are not fitting with the Mike Wilson model. I really think that Mike is uh, absolutely right when it comes to the SPACs. We had a guest call, talk this morning about a possibility of a SPAC. Now, 140 uh, uh, SPACs have, uh, have come public and either all have made money or done nothing. So that looks like free money to people. And it may turn out to be, David, but you know and I know that free money uh, for a small size is nowhere equal to what happened in 2000, 2001. I think Mike Wilson is uh, suboptimal in his analysis because I think it scares people. And that's certainly not my goal. No. Uh, and, and, I, and I tend to agree with you, of course. We can talk about the, the multiples on companies like Facebook growing its top line at an astounding still 33%, at least it did as of last quarter when it reported last week. At the same time, Jim, there are pockets of speculation in this market. I don't think we can doubt that in any way. We're looking at some of them right now. I mean, you're talking about GameStop like they would actually, like this is normal. I mean, this is not normal. This is crazy, uh, at least from a valuation no, no. perspective. Uh, yeah, look, you got to go back to uh, the late, uh, unfortunate Paul Raines, whom I, I was close to and came on Mad Money many times, friend of Ken Lango. And, you know, it, Paul was trying to shift model after model after model. He ended up being a swag model. They have 5,000 stores. Uh, what are some of the animations? That they could use those as warehouses as, as like what Walmart does, but that's really not doable because you, you don't go to a mall for a warehouse. You could say that, listen, they have possibility of, of what the hell. I mean, they could take 22, uh, $22 billion market cap. They could easily do a takeover for our old friend Zynga, David. They uh, um, take two's too <laughs> yeah, big, I don't think EA's they too could. big, I don't, Activision Blizzard's too big. I don't know if Zynga big. wants to take the stock. Well, I, I, yeah, I don't know anybody wants to David, take the I'm stock trying to right take now, the stock. I mean, you know, you... No, I'm trying I, I just, to take listen, the stock we spend, down I'm, to the In some days. ways, I know, but we're spending too much time on... I mean, listen, silver is, is fascinating to me today, as is the future of Robinhood, of course, the platform by which... Many people were locked out of buying GameStop late last week, which, which obviously right. led to that significant one-day decline. It's interesting how stable the stock seems to be now. We'll be watching it through the course of the day here, uh, and obviously we'll be watching all the silver. But what about Robinhood, Jim? Because uh, that, to me, is also a fascinating part of this overall story. A company that suddenly realized, yeah. yeah, we're in the technology business, but you know what? We're also in the financial business, and boy, we need to have a lot of capital. In fact, we may be in a somewhat capital-intensive business, because we're being asked uh, to put up a lot more in terms of making sure that we don't have negative equity in people's accounts and get hit with a huge loss. And so they went and they raised a billion dollars from their existing investors. They raised 500 million from banks. I'm hearing they're probably going to need more and back to those investors as well. But it sort of does make you wonder what the overall business model of the company is at this point, given they've, they've realized there's a lot of fin in fintech. Yes, yes. Well, David, you know, I've been in contact with Robin Hood this morning, and obviously, they, you know, they've got a message of how they make their money, and we can just very quickly check it. Um, you know, they make their money, and they talk about how it's, yes, uh, the sources, they make money. Robin Hood's mission is to demonstrate democratic. They keep talking about that. But, you know, they, they are able to uh, do commission-free trading. We know that. But, David, there's no free lunch. They income generated from cash, but they also you know, get some money for uh, what they trade. Now, uh, Vlad Tenna, the, the CEO, has been very uh, 
active in saying that he thinks that you get the best price. So I am not going to say he doesn't get the best price. I am saying that the idea that he does is really up to whether uh, an independent group, say a regulator, decides that. Uh, as much because I think that it is important to talk about how there are capital requirements. Now, Vlad's new to the game. I enjoy him. He's been on the show very many times. To be new to the game, David, is also to be new to the idea you said that they're naked options. But what happens if you take the common stock off? Doesn't become a naked option. Uh, they don't really, uh, they don't get money from order flow. But what happens, David, if the spreads get really wide and Citadel? Now I'm talking about the clear. Yeah, well, let's, why don't I play a, a, sot, a, a sound on tape from December from when I had Vlad on, where he was really worried about the SEC and the uh, agreement. So we've taken a lot of major steps to ensure our compliance program is industry leading. And we've addressed, um, we've made improvements to the way we communicate uh, payment for order flow on our various revenue streams including a new uh, section of the website where we give consumers statistics about execution quality on the platform. Okay. Well, there's something interesting, David, because uh, it, it is true that Robinhood gets payment for order flow cheaply, I believe, from Citadel, but we're not sure everybody else. But, David, I think the problem here is, is that the spreads widen dramatically. So it's entirely possible that the company did make more money and you may not have gotten the best price. Or obviously, they think you that, that's up to dispute. But what's not up to dispute, David, is there are capital requirements. That's why I say this is a regulatory issue. It's not a systemic issue. Yeah. And it would really behoove uh, Gary Gensler, who's brand new, obviously, SEC chief, to just explain the idea that there are regulatory reasons why a Robinhood might be limiting things. Not that Robinhood's trying to hurt the little guy. They're not trying to hurt the regular guy. There's 17 million people. But, David, the problem is, is that there are other alternatives. And I think that the idea that you are so-called stuck at, at Robinhood when 40 percent, a huge a percentage of the money that left Robinhood went to Square. So I think you have to recognize that while everybody is concerned about Robinhood, uh, being concerned about Robinhood is really being concerned about systemic, uh, not systemic risk, but regulatory risk. Regulatory risk is not as important. Carl, well, the reason why I'm making this perspective is because when I see stocks like Facebook, which David mentioned, or when I see some of the stocks that are trading on, uh, let's say, a matter of revenues, like ServiceNow, which reported a really good quarter, or even uh, a PayPal, uh, uh, you, you go into a square. It's very hard to refute the fact that maybe these are the new way new banks. So, you know, you have the, the Tesla combination. I want to find the next Tesla. You have the Chewy combination, which is obviously <laughs> double the market cap of GameStop. I want to do the Chewy. And what happens is, is that if you're reading in Reddit, uh, you're reading Wall Street Bets, there's no reason to think that th these things couldn't happen. But they're an odd situation, ODDS. They're less likely to happen. And if you're buying the stock, you kind of hope that that there is a master plan. If you're buying AMC, I like that. Why? Because if you think that we're going to have 50% of the people vaccinated, then we actually may have people go to the movies. The more stock that Adam Aaron offers, the more likely the company stays in business. So he's a very smart guy, and he's doing at the money. Why? That's what, you know, that's what GameStop should do. But, but it's important. Let me just say before we get too caught up, I am so glad to be back. I love everybody at this network who's doing such a good job. And I want to also make this clear. On Friday, it was not a vast conspiracy to keep me off. It was just simply the idea that, uh, that it's harder to take off a Foley catheter than you realize. <laughs> uh, Jim, it did not sound like a pleasant week for you, uh, but we're so glad that you're looking and sounding great because we needed you oh, uh, those you. couple thank days you. that you were you were indisposed. Uh, we'll get to a lot of the calls uh, that Jim oh, is mentioning. In fact, this great new care. street high. 
this new street high on Tesla out of Piper as they go to 1200 plus some downgrades of Disca, Viacom, uh, Moderna, Ford. We're back in a minute. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Understand what's happening with GameStop is just a reminder of what's been going on on Wall Street now for years and years and years. It's a rigged game. We need a market that is transparent, that's level, and that is open to individual investors. It's time for the SEC to get off their duffs and do their jobs. That's Elizabeth Warren over the weekend on CNN as uh, more voices added to the conversation about short selling and Robin Hood, too, Jim. You mentioned uh, Vlad before the break. He does he does write an op ed in USA Today today saying we built Robin Hood to provide access to investing for all, uh, as Senator Warren implies. It certainly wasn't because we were trying to help the hedge funds. Well, look, I mean, I don't think anyone can dispute Vlad's comments, Vlad Tana, the CEO of uh, of. Robin Hood. But here's what I worry about. I've had Senator Warren on uh, Mad Money many, many times, and she certainly does represent democratization. But I also don't want anyone to feel that the market is rigged. And I say that because let's take GameStop. It was it rigged in favor of people who were smart enough to go up against a hedge fund that had to cover. Uh, let's take the case of AMC. Is it rigged with the idea that perhaps because the stock goes up, AMC can stay in business? So I, I prefer to not use the word rigged. Why? Because it's too inflammatory. I would like to say that there are many voices and that it's not necessarily manipulation until it's proven. Uh, do I want everyone to do well? Oh, Carl and David, we know. We want everyone to do well. Do I favor the regular investor? Yes, I have to. I just it is just my my uh, it's, it's been my love since I got into business in 79. But I, I think what matters, David, is, is that it does not do good to inflame. It does do good to look for value and decide what may be too high so that you can ring registers. There's a lot of ringing register situations, David. And, and I think that it's incumbent upon people to recognize that while prices can uh, fluctuate, as, as J.P. Morgan said, we certainly would be in a situation, say, the fluctuation is geared toward one side or the other, because then I'm concerned that people will leave the market, as they did in uh, the flash crash, as they did in the, in the 2015 experience with China, as they did with the uh, ill-fated 2018 VIX situation. So my goal is to try to keep people in the market and to make it so 
so that people don't think that it is a rigged game, but it, it is not a game. It's an investment and trading business that some people are better at than others. And David, that's life, isn't it? Yeah, listen, when you're Robin Hood and you're asked by your clearinghouses to put up more money, you've got to put up more money. Mr. Tenev made that clear in a conversation, I guess, that he had over the weekend on something called Clubhouse with Elon Musk, saying they were asked for $3 billion. Uh, now, obviously, they were able to raise a good amount of money. As I've said, they probably will need to raise more. But that's not about a rigged game, necessarily. That's simply about trying to preserve your business in some fashion. You know, I do wonder... Um, Jim, if Robinhood were a public company and we watched it last week do what it had to deal with, what it was dealing with, and come under such stress that it needed to raise more money, what would have happened to its stock price and the confidence in the company? It may, in fact, be benefiting from the fact that it is a private company as of now. Well, David, you raise a great point. That I, Apparently, there was a book that went around. Uh, now, again, did it come from Robinhood? I believe, but I don't have the facts. Uh, which uh, I don't want to say that I'm misleading. I'm just saying that there's a book where they were very spartan in trying to give you their profit and loss. You know, if I were Robin Hood and Vlad Tanev, I would just send that to us right now and say, look, here's how we're doing. Now, you don't want to necessarily hide behind private. Why? Because you have 17 million customers. Is it possible that they get a takeover bid? Uh, we can't speculate on that. But what we can say is that we need to know how much money they had. And we don't want this to be a decision that people say, well, this was Robin Hood being prudent. We want this to be able to say that it was the government urging Robin Hood to be prudent. But, you know, David, we don't know that. But we do know is that they needed capital or else they would not be in the situation that they're in. It's not their fault that they needed capital. It's regulatory requirements. And, Carl, when we get into this type of thing, again, we get into this vast conspiracy thing. It, that's painful. If you're a broker-dealer, if you're a, a, a Robin Hood, you need to put up capital. I mean, could we like to hear from, from Ken Griffin, who owns the Citadel? Uh, remember, this is not the Citadel uh, side that is the rich hedge fund. It is actually a clearing corporation. Sure, that would be helpful, too. What would really be helpful is for people to come on and tell and tell us what's going on. Well said, Jim. Uh, well, we hope to learn more this week. Uh, we'll take a break here. Uh, we'll get to a lot of other issues for people that are not necessarily in GameStop, such as some of these COVID trends, which are quite encouraging. There's news on stimulus today, SPACs, as we kick off this first day of February. Don't go away. seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. We've got about a minute and 30 seconds before we get to an opening bell, Jim. Time to squeeze in a mad dash. Nice to have a name we haven't talked about in a while. Sky, Skyworks Solutions. Well, I'm picking Skyworks Solutions. Why? Because uh, I had the, the, the fortune to be able to be not on my back but on my side during last week. And when you're desperate for reading, what do you turn to? You turn to the conference calls and you turn to 
uh, what people are saying about the tone of business. And the best conference call last week, by far, actually, was not Facebook, which was actually not Microsoft, not Apple, but it was Skyworks Solutions. And why? Because they are very much in the Internet of Things. They're very much in, uh, in auto. They're very much, obviously, in 5G. And the number they reported was just spectacular. Now, Mike Wilson, as much as, again, I admire his work, uh, must he, he should look at a Skyworks. Best number, 16 times earnings. Uh, Liam Griffin doing a remarkable job, and that's what I'm looking for. Now, does GameStop obscure this $27 billion company? Well, if that's, that, if that's happening, that's a shame. Uh, we can go over some others, but I'm just picking that one as being the single best in a week that was heavily, heavily related to very, very good quarters. Let's get the opening bell here, guys. And the S&P 500 at the bottom of your screen as we kick off, as we said, the month of February. Uh, Jim, a big part of Morgan Stanley, Mike Wilson's uh, bearish thesis this morning is what he's calling a peak in the growth of M1, M2. That is money supply, um, which sort of brings us to this discussion that 10 GOP senators are expected to have with the president today about their uh, new compromise of about $600 billion. Yeah, I think that's really important because while Mike Wilson's looking at the current picture, let's not forget that the uh, hedge funds de-risked about a, about a trillion dollars last week. That's very large. There's $5 trillion on the sidelines. Are the margin numbers too high? Absolutely. If you ask me what the root of evil, so to speak, in the situation was the easy margin that everyone made, including some companies that perhaps lost track of the margin, that's definitely true. And I wish that there were more, more people who were uh, more prudent about borrowing money because that's how you lose a great deal of money. But if they're going to be stimulus checks, if we're going to have another round related to COVID, then I think the idea of M1, M2 as being the focus may be wrong. What the focus is, is what people do with their money when they stay at home and they get a check and they have a job. David, one of the remarkable things that we're discovering right now is the, what I call the May fulcrum. If 50% of the people are vaccinated by May, will they stay home or will they go out? And if you think they're going to go out, then we have to buy a whole different group of stocks. And, David, I think that that's not in the hands of anyone on this show. It's more in the hands of the public health situation and what uh, President Biden is going to be doing with, with the dispersal of the vaccines. And, and I think that's, frankly, David, out of our control. Yeah, I would seem to be. And, of course, we are still, despite our focus, of course, on that name there and uh, and the new dynamic in this market. And we are focused on the distribution of the vaccine. There's a lot of concern as well. Thankfully, by the way, hospitalizations, new cases coming down dramatically. That's a good thing. But there is that continued concern yes. about these new variants and as to whether we can win the race to essentially vaccinate enough people so that those variants are not going to, uh, to bring us back to levels that we recently visited when it comes to the virus, Jim. I think that's a key concern. We can only sit back and watch and hope for the best. Yeah, I think the, the uh, what was the news last week? It was J&J, &J, which is possible that they have as many as a billion vaccines, but obviously their number at various levels is 66%, say, in terms of efficacy. Uh, but, uh, David, 66% is better than nothing if you're 50, 40, 30. So what we're looking at is absolutely it's a foot race. I don't think the good guys are winning right now. I think COVID is winning. But I do think that what you're trying to do is you're trying to close the gap and then pass the gap. And that has a lot to do with the efficiency of being able to distribute the vaccine in any way that is not uh, what I regard as being political, but it's much more in the hands of, say, the CVSs and the Walgreens, where it was supposed to be initially. You know, I have that Thermo Fisher on tonight, and they're the principal PCR firm. We have to talk about the idea of the, you know, the antigen test versus the PCR. I know it's old hat at this time, but Carl, what we're really trying to do is make it so that fewer people are in the hospital. Uh, and we're ultimately looking for a pill, not a some sort of infusion. 
Uh, look, and there are many at stake here. Uh, Regeneron, uh, uh, Eli Lilly. Does Eli Lilly work against South Africa? Does Regeneron work against everybody? Those are therapeutics. But I, I think, Carl, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that it's COVID that's driving things, not... Uh, let me get some companies that people think maybe GameStop, Beyond Meat, Stitch Fix, Sun Power, uh, Lemonade. I always like that one. Uh, uh, Fizz, you know, that's uh, LaCroix or LaCroix, depending upon whether you're educated or not. And, and, uh, if that's really what we're talking about, then I think what we're talking about is something that's incredibly fun, but not something that is going to be helpful for people. Yeah. Uh, as, uh, as Steve Leesman pointed out this morning, Jim, uh, Morgan Stanley saying we've gone from putting 20 percent of available shots into arms to 50 percent in three weeks. And it looks like we can go higher. Um, and even Dr. Gottlieb this morning talking about the variants and the challenge for vaccines, he says, I think we're going to stay in front of this. I do want to get you on Tesla because Piper did make some news as they go from five fifteen, Jim, to 1,200. It's a hundred page report on Tesla, um, basically looking at 9 million deliveries by 2030, may take decades before the company runs out of opportunities. What do we think here? Yeah, it's uh, right about where the battle Broden came in and uh, War and Peace, it's pretty easy, um, meaning that it, it is a, a long and convoluted argument. Here's what I think is completely unnecessary on a day like today to come out and say, look, this is the stock to buy. Using 515 goes to 1200. Is Piper being irresponsible? No, but it's there happens. Alex Potter, uh, Alexander Potter, excuse me, it, moving his price target that way makes people feel like, wait a second, what do we pay? David, I know you love this. You get 9 million units from Tesla in 2030. What's that worth? Well, here we go again, David. This is the Tesla. This is the Chewy. This is the Amazon. This is the Netflix. I put Chewy in, obviously, because uh, Ryan Cohen's now on the board of GameStop. Is this important right now to do this? Tesla had a quarter. People weren't necessarily in love with Tesla because of, the, of uh, obviously, maybe the gross margins weren't that good. But they're going for volume, and they make money per volume. Uh, I just wish that there was a moment here when people would just take stock and say, you know what, this may not be the principal uh, time to be able to push uh, uh, Tesla only, David, because that's part of the morass that so many of the regular investors find themselves in, trying to find the next Tesla, which then leads to the SPACs and trying to find the next SPAC that looks like a part that goes into a Tesla or whether it goes into a hydrogen engine, fuel. Uh, Plug Power did a very interesting secondary last week because they want to be able to make it so that they are not beholden to the oil companies. And David, if Tesla is the next big thing, if not already, then what do we make about Exxon? What do we make about the idea of Exxon and Chevron getting together? Uh, yeah, good lead in. Uh, thanks, Jim. You know, listen, uh, they may very well have had a conversation or two uh, last year, as the journal reported. There had been, I've been hearing some chatter around about it, did not frankly follow up on it, in part because it's hard to imagine even now the antitrust arguments against a, a deal that would bring together Exxon and Chevron. Um, for Exxon, the focus right now, of course, is their conversations with uh, the activist investors who are in the stock and where that's going to end up in terms of some sort of an agreement on both capital expenditures and operating expenditures. Will there be a new member of the board or perhaps even two? We should get some clarity on that from what I'm hearing, at least perhaps as soon as weekend or at least part of it. It may be sort of staged in terms of uh, uh, things we hear there. But that's kind of going to be the key thing for Exxon shareholders. But, Jim, I'm glad you brought it up overall because, of course, you know, given everything we've been focused on, not just uh, last week with GameStop, but yet again today with the silver companies, or I should say the metal itself and the silver ETFs, um, 
We've lost sight of some big stories, including last week, Jim, you were not here when GM said, oh yeah, gasoline powered vehicles, we're not gonna make those anymore after 2035. I mean, this goes into the entire argument you were making or talking about when it comes to Tesla and its future. GM is going to be a key competitor. There's no doubt about that, given its entire lineup will be made up of elect, uh, EV as of, the, as of 2035. It's only 14 years away for those like me who may be hard-pressed sometimes on math. So, you know, you've got this part of the market that is a focus for investors. GM, EV overall, SPACs. We've got another one today, for example. Uh, Tuscan is its name, this one. Um, doing microvast, Jim, EV battery technology. It's already in the market. They tell me they've powered about 30,000 commercial vehicles and they have about 100 million in revenues. It's about a $3 billion deal and it will provide 822 million. There it is. You can see how it's per performing uh, of, uh, of, uh, of uh, gross proceeds to microvast. But Jim, this has captured the imagination of many investors, far beyond GameStop in some ways, wouldn't you argue? And at least you can make an argument here that while there will be winners and losers, there certainly are going to be some winners in what is a vastly, uh, well, not underserved, but a market that is growing extraordinarily quickly given the targets of some of these big companies. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these people, I, I've, had, I've been focused on Northern Genesis, for instance. It's Michael Hoffman. It's a Hoffman trade. It's a blank check company. And, and they've been able to, are they going to merge? They're not going to merge. That's one that could come out on top. You know, we've talked about uh, EV batteries that are better than Tesla's. But, David, I think the bottom line here, well, before we leave the Exxon Chevron talks, is these are two companies going in different directions. Exxon's trying to preserve its, uh, it, its business model, trying to preserve its dividend. Chevron actually had a pretty decent quarter on Friday, if you want to talk a loss as a quarter. Mike Worth has done much more to be able to grow production. Now, I have been a believer that if you have to own oils, you can own Chevron, you can own Pioneer because they're growing production. But aren't all these different SPACs and all these different companies, David, designed to make it so that oil is a much, uh, well, that petroleum is a much shorter bridge yes, fuse yes. than a lot of the oil companies can have. And that's really why, if you're buying yes. Chevron, David, maybe the bridge fuse went from 2035 to 2030 because there's so much money coming to all these different alternatives, David. Agreed. I mean, there is a, there is a direct connection between GM's decisions and, of course, Tesla and the growth of EV, which still continues to be an infinitesimal part of the overall market in terms of sale of automobiles around the planet. But we know, Jim, it's going to grow dramatically. Now, they will tell you, of course, their, uh, their, their product is not just used for automobiles, but it is a key part of uh, their revenue stream. So these companies are got to figure a lot of things out. Jim, I don't know if it ends up that they buy a lot of these battery companies. Perhaps that's the bid eventually and where they need to go, given energy overall is the business they're in. Well, you know what's really fun? If you take a look at what Andy Marsh has done at Plug Power. Let's use that as a template. Hydrogen has been completely, David, completely out of the mix. It's very small. Green hydrogen I'm talking about. Why? Because it's too expensive. But the power of electricity has come down. You need that. Uh, there are companies that are furiously trying to get this to be a fuel where uh, it's the greenest of the carbons. And, you know, do they make it? Or are we going to stick with batteries, which is a plug-in system? Uh, whatever, whatever's happening, David, the thing that we don't want to lose sight of the fact is that the fossil fuels are hated by companies. So when you're dealing with an Amazon and a Walmart, those are your core uh, customers. And they are saying, listen, we have to lower our footprint, so FedEx, lower your darn footprint. 
And that's going to come to needing these companies. Carl, it is the customer that is driving these things, not the investor, but the customer that's saying we need to meet our goals to be carbon neutral. And in order to do that, we can't use carbon engines that involve fossil fuel, which is why the so-called mania may not be a mania. It's attempt to be able to meet the customer's demands with Amazon being the leader and Walmart being number two. Yeah. Um, yeah, as David said, or just a remarkable headline uh, you know, from GM that got buried last week. 2035 is not that far away in the grand scheme of things. Uh, Jim, uh, on Friday, Morgan Stanley did take Ford to sell and took GM to 80 as they began to parse out the opportunities on EV between some of the legacy manufacturers. You know, I have trouble with that call. Now, my, uh, my uh, charitable trust owns Ford, but... What you're doing, again, is you're looking at Jim Farley as a static individual, as his CEO, when he's furiously involved in a lot of different aspects, including electrifying the, the very popular, well, most popular Ford F-150. Do I think it's a mistake to sell Ford? I, there are other things at work, including the de-urbanization of America because of COVID, uh, the fact that Ford has decided to get out of uh, making cars where they don't make cars. And so I think that that, I think that, that one is misdirected because it presumes that Jim Farley is a, a, just another Ford, just another person who's not a Ferrari but a Ford. Jim Car Car Farley, as they call him, is very much, David, involved with making modern cars and not losing money on cars. So why do we take that to a sell other than because it's entertaining? Yeah. All right. Well, you've been a big proponent and been dead right on Ford uh, and obviously very enthusiastic about the leadership of Mr. Farley. You know, I, I do, Jim, though, want to come back to just this overall uh, point on uh, on EV overall. You know, there are some similarities to the enthusiasm we saw around the Internet in the, in the, in the mid to late 90s and the companies that were going to benefit from it. And of course, some of them are still with us, such as Amazon, for example, one of the greatest companies. I mean, if you'd bought a basket of stocks that included Amazon, you probably are up despite the fact that many went by the wayside. There are going to be so many things that need to change over this next decade, including, by the way, even the ability to generate power in this country. If, in fact, we are having all these people plug in their uh, plug in their automobiles to uh, to charge them, uh, the battery technology, the power that we are going to need. It just it goes on and on from there. So, Carl, there is going to be an, a very interesting opportunity here. And certainly it's reflected to a certain extent in the enthusiasm many of these stocks are met with in the marketplace. So many of these EV companies choosing to go public via SPAC fairly early in their development cycle. Uh, indeed, uh, we did get an upgrade of Nikola today out of Webbush. I uh, got some delivery figures out of Neo as well. Uh, in the meantime, guys, uh, pretty narrow range. Another time, another day of narrow ranges on GME. Let's get to Bob Bassani. Hey, Bob. Good start to Monday, uh, Carl. Four to one, advancing to declining stocks. And once again, there is this sort of negative correlation between the markets and most shorted names. When they're down, the market tends to be up. And as on Friday, exactly vice versa tends to happen. So if you look at the sectors, you know what? This looks like the reopening story to me. So once again, what was the old market leaders? Semiconductors in China. What's the old market leaders today? Semiconductors in China. Industrials too. Banks too. What's lagging? Defensive names like consumer staples. This is the reopening play. Now, if you look at our heavily shorted friends that are out there, 
mixed today, but generally to the downside. GameStop, as uh, Carl mentioned, moving in a much more narrow range down. AMC is the only one that's really up there. Unusual situation here, moving in opposition to the other most shorted names, Bed Bath & Beyond, Express, uh, also to the downside. So you see that sort of negative or inverse correlation with the markets, I think, is continuing here today. As for all this speculation about silver, I, I have no idea about it, but I, I can can I point out silver is a very heavily regulated commodity. Uh, it is um, silver futures are regulated by the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, and they can and do routinely change margin requirements. They did it most recently on August 11th. You can see that little circle there in the middle. Silver plunged 11 percent on August 11th. Gold did as well. Why? Well, because there was speculation about vaccines coming out. Gold and silver were moving in opposition to the vaccine story. So drop and the CFTC stepped in and raised margin requirements. They raised margin requirements for silver futures like 15 percent on that day. This is when it dropped. They, they stepped in. Now, that, my point is they're not going to watch this thing go through the roof. They're going to step in and do something, and they would do it as part of their routine uh, uh, activities uh, to uh, ensure fair and orderly markets overall. So I, I don't expect a lot of uh, dramatic, dramatic through-the-roof movements here uh, in silver. Uh, as for the markets themselves, the main stories are still well-known to the market. The rollout continues for the vaccine. Um, the stimulus is still, you know, the debate over the weekend amongst traders I talked to is larger is more likely than smaller. So they're talking $1.9 trillion with the Democrats, $600 billion. And obviously the belief here is it's going to be towards the higher side um, maybe not 1.9 trillion, but somewhere uh, uh, in the middle or a little bit higher here. Uh, nobody thinks the Fed's going to taper in 2021. At least the trading community does not. Uh, and earnings, um, we're getting good beats continuing. The problem is we know most of this. The risk is on the downside for the market. The risk of this is not occurring. So what we need to see here is some nice surprises. So far, we've been getting the great surprises here. We see about 38 percent reporting on the earnings. Uh, 85 uh, percent beating by about 18 percent. This is what happened in the third quarter. This is what the market needs to see. Pleasant surprises, much better than anticipated. And Carl, the good news is if you look at the first quarter, which is what we care about right now, the numbers are going up steadily in the last week. We were talking about 16 percent up in the first quarter. Now we're talking about close to 19 percent, close to 20 percent rise in the first quarter. Carl, that's really good news for the markets. Back to you. Yeah. And once we start lapping some of these tough comps from when the pandemic hit uh, last February. Uh, thanks, Bob. Uh, Bob Pisani. We've been showing you okay. some numbers at the bottom of your screen. That's uh, uh, manufacturing PMI a few moments ago. 59.2 for January. That's a record high for that particular number. New orders, 59.9. And coming up at the top of the hour in about 15 minutes, we'll get ISM and construction spending. We'll be right back. I put all my money in GameStop and I can't lose. Uh-huh. So normally a stock price reflects a company's value, right? Okay. <laughs> and two weeks ago, GameStop was valued at $17 a share and then it went to $413 a share. Would you say that reflects the kind of business GameStop stores have been doing in the past two weeks? Uh, we sell games? Right, but are you good at it? 
not really. Uh, people download all their games now, so we're kind of like, I don't know, what do you call it? Uh, A dying business? Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's the SNL crew over the weekend talking about GameStop. Uh, Jim, uh, you and David and I have been through a few cycles, and when business news and stocks become part of the cultural zeitgeist, it's usually an interesting chapter. Oh, no doubt. I mean, what's GameStop tried to, uh, it tried to reinvent himself many times? People need to go back when the late Paul Raines decided to make it, you know what, we're obviously going to be a victim of the download issue, which became cheaper. Let's call it direct-to-consumer. We've seen that happen in many different industries. Direct-to-consumer represented a pretty good way to go. But what is really fueling the ability for GameStop to be able to not come on and be able to make people feel that it's doing well? It's the shortage right now, the shortage that we have in PlayStations. The shortest that we have in Xboxes. Now, I went on this weekend to try to find these. They're very hard to get to. Right now, if you go to a, a Best Buy, you'll see a sign which says they're not available. Now, GameStop says that they have some when you go to the website. So as long as there's a shortage of the actual devices, I think people can say, well, you know what? Maybe these 5,000 stores are a way to be able to get it. So should GameStop become a, a, a stock exchange, so to speak, for this material? I don't know, but that's another form. I stretch and stretch to find how I can get to the golden days of 50 to $60 for GameStop. People don't want to hear that, but I'm talking about the golden days, Carl. And that's all I can get to. <laughs> yeah, well, watch it here. Uh, close to session lows, guys. Along with the broader market, we're back to 3730 as we didn't quite take out Friday's intraday high. Still early, though. Dow's up 100. Some interesting price action in GameStop. Uh, close to session lows here. Anything below 250 would take out Friday's intraday low. We'll watch that closely. More Squawk on the Street continues in a minute. Let's get to Jim and stop trading. So it begins. KeyBank says, you know what? You want to be out of the nesting trade, which then means they take Lowe's Corp from buy to hold. Carl, I don't know when you get to a May time frame and say 50 percent of the people have been vaccinated, maybe that is going to be a moment where the nesting trade ends. I don't think it's over. And I think these companies are going to do very well if you get a stimulus check. So I'm going to take the other side of the key bank call. All right, Jim. And tonight, packed show, it sounds like. Yeah, well, we've got Dick's new CEO, Ed Stacks, turning the reins over to uh, Lauren Hobart. She, she's sensational. we we got to speak to her. Judy Marks delivers a really another good number. It's a guide up for Otis. Yeah, remember, that's the split off of United Technologies that involves elevators. And then, yes, the man of the hour, Mark Casper, he's been the guy who has done, I think, the really the spokesperson for what the PCR machine does for COVID. He's been level-headed. Let's, I cannot wait to speak to him. Jim, we will see you uh, at 6 o'clock. Nice to, as we said, have you back in the saddle. That's Jim Kramer. Of course, oh, Mad Money starts here, at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Thank you. You've been listening to The Opening Bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.